We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the sixth and final piece in Hilchos Ishus. This is Perak Tezayin Halacha Chafhei. And the Rab Chaim is analyzing the Shittas HaRambam with regard to the principle of Ein Nishboin Al-Kfiras Shibud Karkos. There's a principle in Halacha that you cannot force someone to make a Shvua when they deny a claim you make against them, which would have been collected from land. So had they agreed to pay, it would have come from land. And if if they deny it, then they don't have to make a shvua. The Rambam says the following, A woman says that when she got married, she was a b'sula, she was a virgin, and therefore her ksuba is 200 zuz. And the husband or his heirs, who oyorshav omrim ba'ula nasa, they claim that she was a ba'ula, she had already had relations, and therefore her ksuba was only 100 zuz. So she's demanding 200, and he's agreeing that he owes her 100, but he's denying the other 100. So the Rambam says, Harezen otelas man, she gets $100 automatically that he agreed to. And if this is a case where the husband was alive, then then she could force him to make a shvua, a midoraisa shvua, because this is a case where he agreed to half of her claim. The general halacha is a moda Anytime someone says, you owe me $200, and the other person says, I don't owe you $200, but I do owe you $100, that's called the Modem Amiktsas, and there's a Chiyuv of a Shvua de Oraisa in that case. So the Ramam applies that to here too, and he says this would be a Shvua de Oraisa. Now, the Ravid questions this, he disagrees, he says you cannot have a Shvua mi de Oraisa, because this is a case of Kfiras Shibud Karkos, a Ksuba is collected from land, so when the husband denies that he owes her 200 and agrees to the 100, he's denying a claim which would have been collected from land, and there is no Shvua de Oraisa in that case. Now, the Magid Mishnah has a solution to the Ravid's question, and that is he says that once the Ga'onim, right after the period of the Gemara, they instituted that Aksuba can be collected not only from land, but also from transportable, movable property, metaltalin. So Aksuba is now something which is collected not just from Karka, but also from metaltalin, and therefore you can have a Shvua. So Reb Chaim explains this back and forth. That the Ravid is referencing a Gemara in Ksubis and Daf Zayin. The Gemara explicitly says that there is no Shvua on a Ksuba because it's a case of Kfiras Shibud Karko. So the Ravid asks, how could the Rambam explicitly contradict this line in the Gemara by saying that there is a Shvua in a case of a Ksuba? So the Magid Mishnah's answer is to say that there's a difference between the times of the Rambam and the times of the Gemara. In the times of the Gemara, a Ksuba was only collected from Karka and that's why the Gemara says there's no Shvua because it's a case of denying Karka. But uh, by the time the Rambam came around, this was after the Gaonim who were after the Gemara and the Gaonim had changed the situation. They said that Iksuba is collected from both Karka and Metaltalin and therefore the Rambam holds that there could be a Shvua in that case. Now, the Lecha Mishnah already raises two issues with the Magin Mishnah's approach. The Magin Mishnah's assumption is that the rule of Ein Nishboin Al-Kfir Hashimud Karkos is only in a case where you can only collect this from Karka. But once you can collect it from both Karka and Metaltalin, then it no longer applies that rule and you could force a Shavuah.
So the Lachamishna asks, first of all, from the Gmarn Bamitsian Daftal Ramad Bez, which is talking about regular Shtarechov, a regular document that someone owes money. And the Gmar applies a Nishboin al Shibud Karkos, that we don't make a Shvua because it's a case of a denial of Karka. So uh, the case of Shtarechov, even in the times of the Gemara, is collected from both Karka and Metaltalin, so it's the equivalent of the Ksuba in the times of the Rambam after the Gaonim. And still the Gemara applies the principle of Einishboyin al Shibud Karko. So you see, unlike the Magid Mishnah, even if you can collect from both Karka and Metaltalin, the fact that you could collect this loan or this obligation from Karka makes it in the category of Einishboyin al Kfiras Shibud Karkos. The second issue the Lacha Mishnah raises is that earlier when the Rambam recorded this whole halacha that a ksuba is only collected from land, so he writes, this is in Perk Tazayin Halacha, hey, the Chachamim made a takana that a almana, a widow, only collects her ksuba from land. So the implication of that is that that's talking about a widow, but a grusha, the other case where a woman would be collecting her ksuba, if she's divorced, the husband is alive, then she could collect her ksuba from land or metaltalin. Now the Magid Mishnah there quotes that the Rashba had a different girsa, a different version of this Rambam, and in his girsa it says, Shlotig beha isha ksubasa, that a woman cannot collect her ksuba. So the implication of that is whether she's a widow, whether she's divorced, either case she cannot collect her ksuba except from land. Now in this case of the Rambam here, we're obviously talking about where the husband is alive because he's going to be the one making the shvua, so it has to be talking about a woman who's a grusha, and Rabbi Chaim points out that in the Gemara and Ksubis also, because it talks about a case where she's pogemes, she got some of her Ksuba earlier, or there's an Eidecha saying that she got her Ksuba. So in that those cases, we're talking about a Grusha. So in the very Gemara, which is talking about that you don't make a Shvua on a Ksuba because it's Kfira Shibut Karkos, that is a case of Grusha. And the, this Rambam also would be a case of Grusha. And according to our versions of the Rambam, a Grusha, even in the times of the Gemara, could collect both from Karka or Metaltalin. So says the Lecha Mishnah, the Magid Mishnah's approach only works according to the Magid Mishnah's version of the Rambam, that no woman in the times of the Gemara ever could collect her ksuba from Metaltalin, whether she was widowed or whether she was divorced, whether the husband was alive or not. So in that case, we could say that after the Takonas HaGaonim, everything changed and the line in the Gemara doesn't apply. But according to our version of the Rambam, that a Grusha in the times of the Gemara could collect from Metaltalin, so then in the Gemara's case, it's a situation where this ksuba of a grusha could be collected from either land or metaltalin, and still the Gemara applies the principle of ein and al-shibut karkos. The Gemara calls that a case of land. So again, says the Lecha Mishnah, this seems to indicate, unlike the Magid Mishnah, that if she could collect from both land or metaltalin, still there is no shvua, and nothing would have changed with regard to a grusha from the times of the Gemara to the times of the Rambam, because either way, even in the times of the Gemara, she could collect from Metaltalin, and therefore the Ravid's question is a good one. Why does the Rambam say there's a Shvua here when the Gemara explicitly said that there is no Shvua? 
So that's the Lechem Mishnah's issue with the Magid Mishnah, that the Magid Mishnah is assuming that the principle of Enish Boin al Kfir Ashibud Karkos is if it's only land. But the Lechem Mishnah has two proofs which indicate that that halacha applies any time you collect from land, even if you could also collect from Metaltalin. Now, Reb Chaim has a different question on the Magid Mishnah's approach from a different angle, and that is that the Magid Mishnah's approach is very much centered on the issue of Ksuba. But Reb Chaim points out that the Rambam seems to broaden his shita even to cases of other shtaro. So, in the Hilchus Toim Vinitan, Perek Dalet, Halacha Dalet, the Rambam is talking about a case where a guy says to someone, you owe me $100, and I have a star on 50 of it. So 50 is in a star, 50 is not. And the other guy says, I admit the 50 in the star, but I deny the other 50. So the Rambam says that that would not be a case of modeb emiktsas. You do not have to make a shvua because the 50 in the star, he didn't really have an option to deny. He can't go against the star. So he was forced to admit that he owes that 50. But that's not a case of modeb emiktsas. So the Magin Mishnah already points out over there, why didn't the Rambam say a more simple reason why there's no shvua? Because since there's a star, that would be a case of shibur karkos. You have to pay from land. So you cannot necessitate a shvua when he admitted to a star because it involves collecting from land. So this indicates that this is a broader shita of the Rambam, that he does not apply this principle to cases of shtaros, even when it's not a ksuba. And Rab Chaim points out that it's actually explicit almost in the Rambam in Hilchus Eidos Perkhav Beis, Halacha Beis. The Rambam is talking about a case where a guy has two shtaros against somebody else. One says that he owes him 200, and the other says that he owes him 100. And each one is signed by a different set of edim. So the shtaros are contrary contradicting each other. The set of Edim on one star who says that he owes him 200 are denying that he owes him 100. And the other set of Edim who say that he owes him 100 are denying that he owes him 200. And meanwhile, the other guy denies both Shtaros. He contradicts both of them and says he doesn't owe him anything. So the Rambam says over there that that would actually be a case of Modeb and Mitzas. He has to pay 100 because there's a star that says that. So the other guy can collect at least 100. And on the other 100, he has to make a shvua like a modeb mikzah. So the rivet already asks over there, but this is a case of kfiras shibud karkos because he's denying a claim which would have been collected from land. So why does he have to make a shvua? So says Rab Chaim, you see from here that the Rambam's shita is much broader. He does not apply the principle of Ein Nishboin al Shibud Karkos to a case of Shtaros. It's not just by Ksuba, but it's even in general. And that's why the Rambam says in Helchus Edos that when you have a Shtar, which acknowledges that the guy owes the hundred, that's a motive of mixas, and he has to make a shvua on that. And that's why in Hilchus Toim Venitan, the Rambam needs a different reason to explain why it's not going to be considered a motive of mixas when it comes to shtaros, and he doesn't just apply that principle. So we have to understand why does the Rambam do this when the Gemara is explicit in Bab Metziah that the principle of Shibut Karkos does apply to shtaros. The Rambam's going against that Gemara, and again, with the issue of Ksubis, the Rambam is going against an explicit Gemara, which applies that principle to a case of a Ksuba. Now, in order to answer these questions, so Rab Chaim asks another question, which is an internal contradiction in the Rambam, and that is that the, the Rambam in Hilchus Perak Ches Gimel, is talking about a case where someone made a vow which was false. There was a star that he owed money and he denied it, and he went ahead and made a vow which he shouldn't have done. 
So he's Potter Mishwas Apikodon. He does not get the full punishment of the Shwas Apikodon, which would include also having to bring a carbon. And the Rambam explains why this case is different. Because in the Shtar, he would have had to pay from land. His land was all leaned to this loan. And therefore, he was denying a claim from Karka. So here, the Rambam does apply the principle of Ein Nishboin al Shibud Karkos in order to explain that your putter from the carbon. So we have an internal contradiction in the Rambam that he doesn't apply this principle when it comes to the issue of forcing a Shavuah, of demanding a Shavuah, but he does apply it when it comes to the issue of whether someone has to bring a carbon Shavuah if they lied. Now, the Rambam and Hilcha Shavuah alone would not be a problem because it's a Gemara in Shavuah and Daflamid Zayin. The Gemara says that if it's Kfiras Shibud Karkos, you don't have to bring the carbon Shavuah. But the issue is in the Rambam's application of the Gemaras, because he only applies it in the case of the carbon Shvua, then he does consider a star, a case of Kfiras Shibut Karkos, but he does not apply this principle when it comes to forcing a Shvua. He seems to imply that a star is not a case of Shibut Karkos in that situation. So, in order to explain this discrepancy in the Rambam, Rav Chaim says we have to really explore what is a star. Do we consider this Karka or Metaltalin? So he says that when you have a star, you are committing that this person can collect either from karka or from metaltalin. Meaning, if there's no karka for them to collect, then they can take your metaltalin. And if there's no metaltalin, then they can take your karka. Whichever way they're able to get paid, then they can collect from that. So that explains the distinction between the carbon shvua versus forcing a shvua. The carbon shvua is a punishment for the fact that you falsely denied that you owed something and you tried to steal from someone and you made a shvua to that effect. But your false shvua was only completed when you denied both metaltalin and karka. Meaning if you just said, oh, I don't have metaltalin to pay or I don't owe from metaltalin, but I do have karka, that would not be a sufficiently false shvua because this person could collect from karka. In order for it to be a real attempted theft, and with a shvua, you need to say you don't collect from metaltalin or from karka, and you need both of them. So therefore, when we evaluate the carbon shvua, it's a case where you denied collecting from land. But on the other hand, when this person is coming to collect and they want you to swear that you don't owe them, so they're actually doing the opposite. They're saying that they would want to collect either from Karka or from Metaltalin, either or. So if the person denies their ability to collect from Karka, the other side could still say, well, I'll collect from your Metaltalin, and that would necessitate a Shavua. And Rab Chaim illustrates this from an even a little bit more extreme case, which is, let's say someone denies, they admit they owe money, but they deny that the person can collect from specific metaltalin in a way which is going to affect the finances of this case, so still they would have to make a shavua. So you see that even just denying some aspect or element of the collection from metaltalin would force a shavua. So certainly, says Rab Chaim, in a case where they deny that the person can collect from karka, but this person can still collect from metaltalin, so that's should certainly necessitate a shvua 
on the metaltalin part of it. So this distinction between the carbon shvua versus the forcing of shvua would explain why the Rambam differentiates when we apply the shibut karkos. When it comes to the carbon shvua, it's a punishment for having denied both the metaltalin and the karkos, so it always involves denying karka, and therefore the Rambam applies that it's shibud karkos, and you don't have to bring a karban in a case of a shtar. But when it comes to the claimant forcing a shvua, so in that case it's the opposite viewpoint, and that is that the claimant is saying, you owe me karka, and if the person denies it, then the claimant wants the metaltalin, and therefore they can force the person to make a shvua on the metaltalin part of it, which they're denying, absent the karka part of it, and therefore we don't apply the principle of kfiras shibut karkos in that case. So as is Rab Chaim's way, by understanding the root of these halachas, he's able to explain why the Rambam applies them differently in seemingly similar situations, but when you really delve into them, you see that there's a key difference. The key difference between the carbon shvua and forcing a shvua is what vantage point you're coming from. Is it punishment for having tried to deny the whole thing, or is it someone who wants to try to collect from whichever part they're able to? Now, using this basic idea, the Rab Chaim believes he can explain another Rambam. This is in Hilcha Shvuas, Perak Yud, Halach Yud Aleph, and Halach Yud Beis. Uh, the case over there is that a woman wants an Eid Echad to come be made that her husband died, and uh, therefore she gets her Ksuba, and the Eid Echad denies it. He refuses to come. So he has the regular Halachas of the Shvuas Ha'edus when an, a witness falsely makes a Shvua not to testify something that they should have. But the Rambam has a major modification of this. He says, This halacha would only apply if the woman was going to be able to collect her ksuba also from metaltalin, from karka and from metaltalin. But if this was one of the cases where she could only collect her ksuba from land, so then he's putter from the shvua sa'edu. So here the Rambam is saying explicitly that if she could collect her ksuba from both karka and metaltalin, and this witness falsely swears that he doesn't know that she should get that, so then he would be chayiv. We would treat that with the halachas of metaltalin. We would not apply the rule that there is no punishment for an shvua, which has to do with karka. Now, this certainly seems difficult, because what is the difference between this case of shvua sa'edus from the case in Parakhes of shvua sa'pikodon, where the Rambam said that if it's a shtar where you could collect from both karka or metaltalin, there is no carbon shvua, you don't get the punishment of shvua sa'pikodon. Why, when it's a case of both karka and metaltalin for shvua sa'edus, does this aid, yes, get the punishment. We treat it as if it's metaltalin. So says Rab Chaim that this would be a proof to his basic idea that we have to look at which viewpoint we're coming from. When we're dealing with the Shvos Apikadon, so you only get punished for having denied the collection from both Metaltalin and from Karka, from the whole package. So therefore, it always involves the situation of Karka, and therefore, we cannot 
punish this person with the Shavuos HaPikadon because we apply the rules as they apply to a case where you would, where you're denying Karka. But when it comes to the Shavuos HaEidus, this woman wants to be able to collect either from Karka or Metaltalin. So the aid precluded her from being able to collect from the Metaltalin. We view that alone. He, she would have collected from Metaltalin alone, of course. So therefore, when we evaluate this Shavuos HaEidus, we view it as if it's not relevant to the Karka part. We don't apply the rules of Karka. We apply the rules of Metaltalin, and therefore he would be Chayiv if she could collect from both. Says Rab Chaim, the same vantage point is also when the claimant is trying to force a Shvua, that since he would collect happily from just Metaltalin, so he can force the Shvua on that aspect of it, and we don't apply the rules of Karka. So this is a good approach to explain the Rambam, but the, the problem, says Rab Chaim, is that this contradicts the Gemara and Bamitzia, because the Gemara is a case where it says in Ashtar, it just says that he owes him money, it doesn't say what it is, and there's a disagreement. The uh, Malve, the person who loaned, says that it was uh, five he loaned him, and the person who borrowed said it was only three, so he's denying half of it and agreeing that he owes part of it. So the Gemara says that you can't force a Shavua in that case because he's denying what would have been Shibud Karkos. Now, according to Rab Chaim's explanation, so the Malve is just saying he wants to collect from either Karka or Metaltalin. And the person who's denying him is also denying him to collect the five from Metaltalin. So as Rab Chaim just explained at length, we should not apply the rules of Karka in this case. We should apply the rules of Metaltalin, but that goes against the Gemara. So in order to explain this Gemara, Rab Chaim has a two-step answer. First of all, he notes that there's a machlokus in the Gemara between Rav Sheshus and Rabbi Chia in a case of Helach, whether you have to make a Shavuah or not. Helach means a guy says to someone, you owe me 200, and the other guy responds, no, I owe you 100, and I'm ready to pay right away. You can have it right away. So is that a mode of a mikzas or not? Rav Sheshus holds that you're putter on a Shavuah because since he offered to pay immediately, it's as if that 100, which he's going to pay, is no longer part of this situation. And it's not a modab emiktsas. There's no hundred that he's agreeing to and hundred that he's denying. There's only the hundred dollars which is being disputed between the two of them. And Rav Chia argues... And he says that even in a case of Helach, you still have to make a Shavua. We still view it as a Modeb Emiktsas. Now, the Gemara there makes clear that a Shtar saying that he has to pay is the equivalent of a case of Helach. And Rab Chaim explains that this would mean that if you agree to pay something, which there's a Shtar forcing you to pay, it's as if that was already paid. And the same way in a case of Helach, we don't view the money he agreed to pay as being part of the situation. So Money in a star is also removed from the situation and does not create a chiyuv of a shvua of modib emiktsas. Now, Reb Chaim adds that even Rabbi Chia, who disagrees with Rav Sheshis' view, it's not that he holds that when you agree to pay with a halach, it's not as if you paid. Even Reb Chia holds that it's as if you paid, but he holds that that's not sufficient in order to remove the chiyuv of the shvua of the modem emiktsa. So it's not that they're arguing about whether halach is considered as if the person's paid up and the money's out of the situation, but rather everyone agrees it's as if they paid up. 
up. The machlokis is whether or not that is sufficient to remove the chiv shvua of modeh b'miktas. And Rab Chaim proves this because he says that even in a situation where someone not only agrees to pay up, but they actually pay the person. So uh, one guy says, you owe me 200, and the other guy says, I only owe you 100, and then he immediately pays him. He gives him the money. So it's certainly paid up. There's no question. Nobody could disagree that this is... We're gathered here today to join Mike and Jill in holy matrimony. So they may file jointly this tax season. And you are? April from Tax Act, the tax filing software with the expert guidance to help you file for less and get more. Works for me. So, Mike, do you take this woman to love, honor, and get her a maximum refund? I do. Jill? Ditto. I now pronounce you married, filing jointly. I always cry at filing status updates. Tax Act. Switch to Tax Act today and start for free. See TaxAct.com for details. Not paid up and still Rabbi Chia holds that there's a chiv of a shvua. So we see that everyone in the Gemara agrees that once someone says Halach, it's as if they paid up and that money is removed from the situation. And a shtar, according to the Gemara, is the equivalent of Halach. So we see that a shtar affects the same situation, that it's as if the money in the shtar is paid up. The second point Rab Chaim makes is that the only time that we say that there's a distinction between the obligation to pay from land and the obligation from metaltalin is only when the person still owes the money. So then, as Rab Chaim's been arguing throughout this piece, we can view the chiv on the metaltalin as separate from the chiv on the land. But once it's as if they paid up, then they certainly are agreeing that they owe money from the land. You cannot say anymore that this is a situation of metaltalin and not land because they're saying that the money is owed from the land and it will be paid up from the land. So therefore, if a shtar is like halach, then it's going to always be shibud karkos. We can't say in that situation that the person wants to collect from metaltalin, so we'll treat it as metaltalin because since it's halach, that makes it that it's automatically shibud karkos. So this second point is very key because it means that the connection between shibud karkos and shtar depends on the shtar being like a situation of hela. So given these two situations, says Rab Chaim, this makes sense of the Gemara. The Gemara there is talking about the position that Halach is chayiv in a shvua, and the Gemara says that even so, you wouldn't have to make a shvua on a shtar, and the reason is because a shtar is not just any old halach where the person's agreeing to pay, but once you have a halach in a shtar, it's also shibud karkos, and that creates another reason why you don't have to make a shvua because it's shibud karkos. So even if you hold the halach alone is not sufficient to remove the shvua of modib miktas, but the fact that this shtar has now become a case of shibud karkos would remove the shvua of modib miktas. Now, this interpretation of the Gemara opens up the possibility, which is going to help resolve the Rambam we started with that suppose you could have a situation which is the equivalent of a star, but it's not considered Halach. So then we could view independently the Chiyuv of Tashlumen from the land versus the payment from the Metaltalin. And then we would not say that automatically it's a case of Shibut Karkos and there is no Shvua. So we have this theoretical case which Rab Chaim's now going to apply back to the case of Ksuba. Again, the Rambam that we began with says that there is a shvua of a motive miktsas in a case of ksuba, and the Ravid asks, why is that not a classic case of kfiras shibud karko? So says Rab Chaim, the whole notion that a shtar is halach 
is a halacha which is specific to shtar. Since the claimant has a shtar, which supports what they're saying, that they're owed money, so therefore we consider it halach. It's as if the other person already signed over their property and this claimant got some ownership in it, and therefore it's halach. But if it would just be what we call a masa bezdin, that the Chachamim instituted that someone gets money, but there isn't a shtar in this case, like a ksuba could be a case without a shtar ksuba, but the, the wife still gets the money. So in that situation, we would not consider it halach, even though it has the same power as a shtar to collect from the husband's property. But it does not have that quality of halach that it's as if the husband has already agreed to pay the money. And Rab Chaim explains this, or even proves it on some level, from the Rambam that he referenced earlier in Helchus Toim Nitan Perak Dalad Halacha Dalad. The Rambam there establishes a principle that Moda B'Miktsas is only Chayev Shvua if he's Moda B'Dover Parbo, if he admits that he owes money in a case where he could have denied the money. And the Rambam gives us a situation here. The claimant says he owes a hundred dinarim. And 50 of it is in a shtar. So he has a shtar which attests to 50 that he's owed. And the other 50 was without a shtar. And the other guy says, no, I only admit that I owe 50, which is in the shtar, but I deny the other 50. So the Rambam says, We don't consider that a modemimiktsas. There is no shvua. Because he anyways couldn't have denied the 50, which was in the shtar. All of his property is leaned from this shtar. Of course he has to pay. Even if he had denied it, he would have had to pay. So Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam is explaining that you can't have a modib miktsas when a person agrees to what's written in a shtar because they anyways couldn't have denied it. But the Gemara in Bab Metziah Davdale that we've been discussing has a little bit of a different rationale that you, there's no modib miktsas because it's halach. When he says that he owes the 50 in the shtar, that's already halach and therefore there's no shvua. So why did the Rambam not use the reason of the Gemara that it's halach? So Rab Chaim says it must be that the Rambam, of course, is using the Gemara's explanation, but he's explaining it. Why is a shtar halach? So the Rambam is explaining because you cannot deny what's written in the shtar. The reason why a shtar is the equivalent of the case of halach, where you offer to pay, is because it's an undeniable claim, and that's not a motive b'mikta. So that is the Rambam's explanation for what why the Gemara calls a shtar a case of halach. Uh, as an aside, Rab Chaim doesn't point this out, but Rashi in Bab Metziah has a different explanation for why a shtar is halach, because he says since you could collect with a shtar from land, so it's as if the payment is already available for the person. So that's what makes it a halach, this connection between the shtar and the land. But to back to the Rambam, says Rab Chaim, now that we know that the shitas harambam is, that a shtar is halach because it's undeniable, so that explains why a shtar is different than masa bezdin. Because a masa Bezdin, you could have tried to deny because there isn't proof that you have to pay in the same way that a shtar is proof that you have to pay. So that's why, according to the Rambam, the only time we say that a shtar is halach is when there's actually a shtar. But a masa bezdin, even though it has the same power to collect as a shtar, but it doesn't have the quality of being halach. And that's why, coming back to the case of the ksuba, if there's no shtar ksuba that the wife has and she's trying to collect because of the masa bezdin, so then it would be a case of modib we would not say like a shtar 
that it's Halach and therefore it's Pater from a Shvua, but rather since it's a Masa Bezdin, it's not Halach and therefore there is a Chiyuv Shvua. And Rab Chaim says that this is actually has to be within the Rambam himself. Because the Rambam holds, in the case of where someone agrees to pay what's in a shtar, that it's not a motive in mikzas, because they anyways couldn't have denied it. But when it comes to the wife demanding the ksuba from her husband, he doesn't say that it's a case where he couldn't have denied it. He says that it is a motive in mikzas, and you have to pay. So why didn't the Rambam say that this is an undeniable case? So the answer is because it's a Masa Bezdin, so it's different. So we don't view it as undeniable, and therefore it's not Helach, and therefore it's a, a case of Modem Mikzas, and there is a Shvua de Oraisa. And Rab Chaim adds that the, the Raivid also seems to have had this reading in the Rambam, because the Raivid only asks on the Rambam, in the case of Ksuba, that it should be Shibud Karkos. The Raivid's whole question is there should be no Shvua, because it's Shibud Karkos. But he doesn't ask that it's also Helach. He doesn't ask that it's a situation where the person readily has to pay or is offering to pay. So the Ravid also understood that Masa Bezdin is different than Shtar, even though a Shtar is the equivalent of Helach, but a Masa Bezdin is not the equivalent of Helach, and therefore it could be a Modeb Mikzas. The Ravid's only question has to do with why isn't this the case of Shibud Karkos. So having established that the case of Aksuba is not Helach, says Rab Chaim, this will also answer the Ravid's question from Shibud Karkos. Because as Rab Chaim explained, the only reason a Shtar is automatically associated with karka, it's viewed as karka, is because it's halach. So it's as if the money in the shtar is already paid up, it's out of the situation, and the person has agreed to pay from karka. But once we remove the halach and we say that a ksuba is not, does not have the quality of halach, so that will also remove the association with karka, and this will no longer be viewed as karka. It's now a case where the wife would collect either from karka or from italtalin, and the husband's denial is on both independently, and therefore she could get her shua modibimiktsas on the metaltalin alone part, which is as Rab Chaim explained before, but then now we're able to explain it in Tiksuba and resolve why it doesn't contradict the Gemara and Bab And furthermore, using this idea, says Rab Chaim, that we can also explain the Rambam and Hilchos Edus, which he referenced before, uh, which has a case where a guy has two shtaros against another guy. One of them says that he's owed 200, and one of them says that he's owed a hundred, and they're both signed by different adim, so they're contradicting each other. And the, the claimant brings out the two shtaros, and the other guy says, I don't owe you anything. He denies all of it. So the Rambam holds that that is a case of modeb emiktsas, even though he didn't agree to anything, because there's a shtar that says he has uh, that he owes him a hundred with two adim on it. So that shouldn't be worse than his agreeing, acknowledging that he owes a hundred. So the Rambam paskins that even with the the agreement uh, forced by two Adim, that's considered a modeb emiktsas. And again, the Ravid points out that that should be Shibud Karkos. Says Rab Chaim, given the whole analysis so far, we can explain this too. Because the Rambam obviously holds that, that, that that's not a case of Halach. If that was a case of Halach, then there would automatically not be a Shavua. So for some reason, the Rambam must hold that that's not a case of Halach. And Rab Chaim has two possibilities why there's no Halach in that case. Either because the Rambam holds that Halach is only when he agrees 
that he owes money, he admits that he owes money, then we consider it as if it's Halach because there's a star which supports it. But if we don't have his initial admission that he owes money, just the fact that there's a star with Adim in it is not going to create a Halach on its own. So according to this, not every star is automatically a Halach. A star supports his admission that he owes money and it creates a Halach that he's as if offering the money. But without his admission, then the star alone is not Halach. Uh, or Rab Chaim says a second possibility that there's a question about the Girsa in the Gemara there in Bab Metzian Dafdalid. Rashi goes through this. When the Gemara introduces the concept that a star is like Halach, so it says, Kivan de Kamoda Bey. Since he admits what it says in the star, therefore it's a Halach. So Rashi says that you should remove the word Kivan because we don't need his admission. Even without his admission, even if he denies it fully, the star would create a halach. Says Rab Chaim, but it's possible that the Rambam does have that girsa, unlike Rashi, and therefore he holds that it's only when the person admits they owe the money in the star that the star gets the force of halach, but otherwise the star would not have the force of halach. So either way, the Rambam is going to hold that in the case where the guy denies owing anything, it's not Halach. That's why there's a Shavuah, because if it's Halach, it wouldn't be Moda B'miktas at all. So the reason why it's a Moda B'miktas in that case is because it's not a case of Halach. So now again, once we've proved that the Rambam does not apply Halach to that case, that's also going to remove the Shibud Karkos. That answers the Ravid's question there. Why isn't this Shibud Karkos? Because the only reason a star is automatically considered like karka is because there's halach. It's as if the guy is immediately agreeing to pay up and therefore he's putting a lien on all his land. But if there's no halach, like in that case, so then it's no longer considered automatically like karka, but rather this guy is trying to collect from him from metaltalin or karka, either or independently, and therefore he can force a shvua motive and mixas on the metaltalin. So with the case in Hilchus Edos and the case here in Hilchus Ishus, both end up having the same equation that once we remove the halach, so then we go back to viewing this as if the person is trying to collect from either or karka or metaltalin, and the metaltalin part alone can obligate a shvua. And according to all this, Rab Chaim adds in one final point, which is the Rambam never mentions the whole concept of Shibud Karkos when it comes to Shvua. And the reason now is because Shibud Karkos is an extension of Halach. The Halach is what creates the association that this case is treated like Karka, and therefore there's no Shvua. And uh, therefore the Rambam doesn't need to mention the Karka aspect because Halach cases are anyways putter from a Shvua of Modib and Mikzas. So uh, there is no case where the Shibud Karkos part is going to remove the Shvua that Halach has not already removed the Shvua. Again, the Rambam holds that the Shibud Karkos part comes from the application of the Halach. Now, finally, according to Rab Chaim's approach in the Rambam, so in the last few lines of the third paragraph, Rab Chaim says that we could answer a question of the Rishonim which is that there's a position in the Gemara that Shibuda Raisa, that according to the Torah, all of someone's property is leaned to pay up, is responsible to pay up. So how do you ever have a case of Shuas Modeb Mikzas when every loan is going to be a case of Shibud Karkos, even if there's no Shtar? 
Up until now, we've been dealing with the problem in a case of shtar, because you could collect from land, but according to that position in the Gemara, even without a shtar, you could collect from land. So when do you ever have a case of moda b'miktsas? Says Rav Chaim that his approach in the Rambam would answer this question too, because as he said, shibur karkos only follows from a halach, and a halach is a special halacha which comes from a case of shtar, but we don't just indiscriminately apply it any time someone could collect from land. Land. Because since in a regular case, without a star, you could collect either from land or metaltalin, so the metaltalin on its own can necessitate a shvua modeb emiktsas. The only time we say that this is associated with land, we view it as a case of land, is only with the halach, but the, even if you hold shibuta do raisa, it's not that there's a halach in every case, and therefore it would not be shibut karkos, it would be both metaltalin and karka independently, and that would necessitate a shvua modeb so according to Reb Chaim's analysis in the Rambam, he can answer that question of the Rishonim. Now, the last lingering problem over here is the Gemara and Ksubis. So far with this analysis, Reb Chaim's explained the Rambam in Hilchus Ishus that we began with regarding Ksuba. He's explained the Rambam in Hilchus Edus, and he explained the Gemara in Bab Metziah. But the lingering issue is that the Gemara and Ksubis does say that you don't make a Shvua on a Ksuba because it's Shibud Karkos. But according to Reb Chaim's explanation in in the Rambam, a ksuba is a masa bezdin. It does not have halach. It should not be shibud karkos. So why does the Gemara apply the rule of shibud karkos to remove the shvua in a case of a ksuba? So Reb Chaim explains that there's a basic difference here between the Rambam's case and the Gemara's case. The Rambam is saying that when a wife is trying to collect from her husband and he wants to get out of paying, so we don't view that as a case of Shibut Karkos because the wife is trying to collect from either the land or the metaltalin, and he, in his denial, is denying each one separately, the land alone and the metaltalin alone, and therefore she can obligate and force the Shavua on the metaltalin aspect of it, even though we don't make a shvua on karka cases, but here on the metaltalin part of it alone, she could force a shvua, and that's why it's a motive emits us, and we don't say that this is a regular case of shibut karkos, and there is no shvua. Same as the Ramam and Hilchus when it comes to the shvua sa'edus, the witness who won't testify for her, so he's also chayiv in that case, because she could have collected from metaltalin alone, and on that aspect he gets the punishment of the shvua. So therefore, even though on half of this situation she cannot force a shvua, but that doesn't help her husband for the other half because she could demand a shvua just on the metaltalin part alone. It's not enough to say that since he doesn't have to make a shvua that he doesn't owe her land, he doesn't have to make a shvua on the metaltalin either. We view them separately and uh, she could force a shvua on the fact that he might owe her and she might be entitled to collect from the metaltalin itself. But, says Rab Chaim, that's only going to be in a case where someone is making a shvua to remove their obligation to pay. The husband is going to make a shvua and then he's not going to have to pay. So in that case, the wife could force the shvua just on his obligation or potential obligation to pay from metaltalin. But in the case in the Gemara and Ksubis, it's actually the opposite. The wife is making the shvua that she is owed money. So the shvua is going in the other direction. It's a shvua to collect. So in that situation, the equation is going to work the other way. Since she can 
can come and collect from the land alone without a shvuah because there's no shvuah on cases of land. So the fact that she's entitled to collect from land is going to automatically translate into her entitlement to collect also from metaltalin without a shvuah. Once someone is coming to make a shvuah and collect, so the fact that we view the right to collect from land and metaltalin separately is going to mean that they immediately get the right to collect from land without a shvua. And once they have the right to collect, then they can also collect from metaltalin and we cannot force them to make a shvua. So that's why in the Gemara Subis it makes sense to apply the rule that you don't make a shvua on karka because once she doesn't make a shvua on karka, then she should be able to collect even from metaltalin. But in the Rambam's case where he's making a shvua that he doesn't have to pay, it does not make sense to apply the rule that you don't make a shvua on karka because the wife could still say, I'm owed money from metaltalin and force a shvua on the metaltalin alone. So again, Rab Chaim returns to a similar idea, the way he explained the difference between the forcing a shvua and the carbon shvua, that it depends where what perspective we're looking at it from. So in this case too, it depends what perspective, whether it's the wife making a shvua to collect or the husband making a shvua not to collect. So that's Rab Chaim's piece. The key points that he makes in this piece are, uh, first of all, the analysis of the difference between the shvua and the carbon shvua, that it depends on how you view the situation. When we're looking at it from the perspective of the shvua, so this person is trying to collect however they can, whether from land or from metaltalin, and therefore the shvua could be forced just on the collection from metaltalin aspect of it. But the, the carbon shvua is the opposite. We're punishing the person for having tried to steal and deny both land and karka, and therefore the karka is an intrinsic part of it. And the same issue of the perspective is also applied to the shtar, that when we have a shtar, which is the equivalent of helach, in that situation we would consider it shibud karkos, because it's as if the person is immediately agreeing to pay from their karka. But on the other hand, when we have a masabezdin, even though it can collect the same way, but it doesn't have that quality of shtar... And so therefore it's not Helach, and if it's not Helach, then it also is not automatically Shibut Karkos. It could be viewed also as Metaltalin. So it's not that every case of Shtar is automatically Karka because it involves collecting from Karka, but you have to know what type of situation this Shtar is. And finally, the perspective issue is also apparent in the distinction between whether the wife is making a Shvua to collect or the husband is making a Shvua not to have to pay. So in the case of the wife collecting, we would view the land in that situation as the primary thing, but in the husband's case, it would be considered a case of metaltalin. So the perspective in these cases, which can be somewhat complicated, is a key factor in determining whether we view it as land or as metaltalin. The second key point that Rab Chaim makes is that the notion of a star being uh, Shibut Karkos, that it's viewed as a case of land in Halacha, has to do specifically with the quality of Shtar, that it's Helach. That's what creates the Shibut Karkos, because it's as if the money the person's agreed to pay, they're immediately agreeing to pay from their assets and from their land. But the, without that Helach, if we remove that, that from the situation, then a Shtar is not automatically considered a land. And finally, there's some smaller points Rab Chaim raises. Uh, first of all, the Rambam's explanation as to why a shtar is considered the equivalent of helach. Rab Chaim explains that the, the Rambam holds it's because you can't really deny what's in a shtar. So uh, therefore, 
therefore it's not a mode of mixus. It says if you're agreeing to pay. And we pointed out that Rashi has a little bit of a different reading of that. It's because a star could collect from lands, so it's ready, ready to go to pay with. Uh, and the second issue is uh, whether or not a shtar is halach, even if he denies what's in the shtar. So Rashi explicitly in the Gemara says that you don't need his agreement in order to make a halach from a shtar, but the Rambam, according to Rabbi Chaim's reading, holds that without his hodah, if he doesn't admit to what it says in the shtar, then it would not be considered halach. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.